Testosterone with Nick Caputo, along with the five most interesting questions y'all have on testosterone, we are also going to be discussing his personal story. During college, I broke my neck. His core four. Core four, nutrition, mm -hmm. sleep, sunlight exposure, training. Attraction. Whether that's your finances. You have to win competitions to, to win sex. Girls, wait at the finish line. And of course, the testicles. So you wanna make sure that your testicles are not being overheated. And again, they, like, they don't wanna be too cold either. Inverted U-curve, money spot. So let's do this. Welcome to the Subject Matter Experts Show. All right, I am here with Nick Caputo. I am super excited to be speaking with him. I've been actually following him online for many years. I don't even know, five, six years. And he's got incredible knowledge. And I, I like how he, he's dabbled in the lesser known facts of the human experience and tested out some of the fringe health concepts that I have gotten into as well. And one of the most amazing things is that he was really skinny, like a skinny little, little dude, uh, like a skinny little boy kind of energy a year, two or three ago. And then all of a sudden he put on, I don't know the exact numbers, like 25 pounds in under a year. He looks super healthy, looks super manly and masculine. And so we are here to talk about hormone optimization of testosterone. And Nick is the founder of Top T Academy, where he teaches people, I'm assuming men, how to do just that. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, Ra. Uh, glad to be on here. Thanks for having me on. Amazing. Uh, I'm excited for this too. I've been following you for just about as long and uh, been intrigued by your content for a long time as well. Been a long time looking forward to this uh, link up. Cool, cool. Yeah, this is the first time we've actually spoken <laughs> yeah. digitally face to face. So what are you spending your time on nowadays? My time is mainly spent on just my overall health still and my business. I would say those two things are, are my two main priorities at this point. So I you know, have my routine with what I do, the things that I eat, the practices that I'm currently practicing, and the stuff that I'm do doing for my business. Mm -hmm. Was there a turning point in your life where maybe that wasn't the priority and then you just decided like this is the direction that I'm going to go in? Uh, Yeah, there was a turning point. I would say it was during college, I broke my neck. I fractured my C6 in a snowboarding accident in Colorado. And I really was determined to like take control of my health so I could heal fast and get back to doing, you know, what I love to do again. They told me it was a two year recovery period, which kind of like shocked me. And I was like, wow, I can't accept that. I have to figure <laughs> out how to make that go faster because two years is a long time in like my early twenties. I don't want to miss two years of like being able to be an athlete. So I really dove into nutritional topics and just overall health related stuff. And I was able to heal my neck in six months instead of two years and get back after it a lot faster. And then that kind of just one thing led to another. And I just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and trying different things. So that and was, so, I would say the main turning point. Right. And then there was a point where you started teaching others. Walk me through how, how you got to, to that as a expression of yourself. For sure. I mean, I always enjoyed teaching. So for me, it didn't come too much later after I started learning. I was always kind of like a teach as I learn type teacher learner. So after about, uh, 
I don't know, maybe six months to a year after I really started doing research, applying things, and you know, my neck was healed, and I, I really decided that health was more of my passion than what I was currently studying in school, which was finance. So I kind of decided to make the switch. I made, I started my Instagram and just started offering information for free and started to build some momentum and then eventually kind of got the idea, okay, this might actually be plausible to start a business out of this Instagram page. And then I eventually started doing that with small eBooks and little courses and things like that. And then it turned into eventually what it is today. I, I tried finding it before the show, but I remember a year or two ago, I was reading something. It was, I think it was a post, maybe it was under a year ago. It was a post where you cut something out of one of your previous eBooks. And I was super impressed with the the data and the knowledge that you put into it. And I was like, geez, how old is this, this guy? Cause, cause he's speaking like a, like somebody with an advanced level of knowledge on these topics. When, so are you still doing the ebook thing? How's, how's that going with the courses that you're doing now? What's the, what's your main sort of channeling of teaching currently? Yeah. So I do do ebooks still, but Less than I used to because now the ebooks are mainly a part of the courses. So additionally, I've added the video modules on top of the ebook so that people can kind of see me and hear me explain what's in the ebooks a little better. In addition to having the physical ebook or the digital ebook. Talk to me about Top T Academy. So the Top T Academy is a collection of, I guess, educational resources for men to learn about how their hormones work and how to optimize them. So we have the testosterone fundamentals course, which I just launched, which is basically just about how the hormones work and how, what testosterone is, what it does, how it works, other hormones that influence it like prolactin, dopamine, estrogen, aromatase, you know, enzymes, things like that, DHT. So that's like the beginner one that I recommend everyone take first. And then we have uh, six other courses that are basically my foundational pillars for how to optimize your testosterone or to achieve what I call top T or top testosterone levels. So each one of those courses focuses on one of the major pillars. So that would be nutrition, sleep, training, sunlight exposure, sex, and avoiding endocrine disruptors. That's amazing. I'm in the business of marketing and sales, and I really like the branding that you that you have around that whole thing. If what's your exact Instagram? I don't want to mess it up. Just to give everybody somewhere to go to to check that out. It's Top T Nick. Okay. If I were to just ask you, like, because because the first thing you mentioned is what is testosterone and how does it work in the body. So if I were to ask you that question, like, what is testosterone and how does it work in the body? What would you say? So at a very surface level, it's a hormone. So it's a chemical messenger. It's a little deeper, a steroid hormone, which means that it has the ability to directly impact gene expression because it has the ability to get inside the nucleus of a cell. So steroid hormones are a little bit different than some other hormones in that regard. And then it's also an androgen hormone. So it's, it binds to the androgen receptors and influences uh, sex-related stuff, among other things. So that's how I would describe it, like, or I would define it. So... Additionally, I would say that, uh, I mean, I could describe how it's produced, but it's not, I guess it's not really relevant to the question. I would say, yeah, let's go into that. How is it produced? So there's two main pathways or that, that signal for testosterone production. So the first one, the main one is the, uh, 
HPG axis pathway or the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. So it starts in your hypothalamus, which releases GnRH or gonadotropin releasing hormone, which then there's a, a blood vessel that goes directly from the hypothalamus to the anterior pituitary. So the GnRH goes through that little blood vessel, I forget what it's called, and signals for the release of two hormones from the pituitary, LH, luteinizing hormone, and FSH, follicle stimulating hormone. Both of those hormones get released by the anterior pituitary. They go into circulation and eventually get down into your testicles where they signal different uh, cells in the testicles. So FSH, follicle stimulating hormone, stimulates the Sertoli cells to start producing sperm. And LH or luteinizing hormone stimulates the Leydig cells to start producing testosterone. And the Leydig cells will convert after the response or the signal from LH, they will turn cholesterol into a series of other hormones, pregnenolone, DHEA, and progesterone, and then androstenedione, and then testosterone. Do, do you have any opinions or any data on what happens before the hypothalamus? Like, what is the actual signal that starts this chain reaction that you just described? That's a great question. It's a loop. So once you have testosterone produced, you have the enzyme aromatase that converts your hard-earned testosterone into estradiol, or the precursor to it, androstenedione, into estrone, so also estrogens. So the hypothalamus is covered in estrogen receptors, so it gauges how much GnRH to produce based on how much estrogen you have. So it's just, it's monitoring the body for, for estrogen. Yeah, it's called a, a feedback loop system. So based on how much estrogen you have, which is like, I guess, the end of the, the process, it's like the end is the beginning. The, uh, I have... Uh... I, I hit a brick wall when I was younger, so I have a major head injury when I was in fifth grade. And I think when I was like 23, I got tested for testosterone, and the doctor came over to me, and the first thing he said was, have you had a head injury before? And I said, yeah, I did. And I explained to the event, and he said, because you have the testosterone of a 70-year-old man, and this feedback mechanism, he was explaining to me what you just said, isn't working. So then I went on the journey of learning how to increase my testosterone. I have a bunch of little tricks, but all of this stuff you just said is at a ascended level of how I've, how much I've paid attention to it. So once the testosterone goes into the body, I think that most people are assuming higher sex drive, increased lean muscle tissue, which may or may not be true. But what does the testosterone do once it's in the body? So it does a lot of things. So uh, before we continue, I want to mention one other thing mm -hmm. uh, with the production pathway. So in addition to LH signaling for testosterone production, there's actually a quicker way that your body does it. And that is in response to catecholamines. So adrenaline and noradrenaline. So in the moment, like let's say somebody punches you in the face or you encounter like a bear and you're like run running or fighting or something, that increase in catecholamines actually directly signals to the Leydig cells to start converting cholesterol into testosterone immediately, whereas the LH pathway takes a little longer and usually takes place more in your sleep. So there's two main production pathways. The HPG axis one with the LH is the one that usually happens for the majority of your production, but that catecholamine pathway is what happens like real quick when you need testosterone like right now. So there's okay. two ways of increasing your testosterone really. Those are the two main ways. So we'll come back to that one a little yeah. bit. But let's just say for somebody who does, who's never really, don't, you, you're explaining this very scientifically. Could you maybe just take us 
another level deeper than most people would think about like what does testosterone do in the body could you just give an overview of that yeah for sure so it does a lot of things a lot of i guess on a surface level number one it helps you with energy helps with motivation and has a pretty interesting relationship with dopamine uh, it also gives you a desire to compete and makes you ambitious. It makes males want to seek status, uh, social status. At the end of the day, it's a sex hormone. So behaviorally, it makes you do a lot of things that make you more likely to pass on your genes, right? So it motivates you to seek status, which can, to some degree, lead to aggression because in the animal kingdom, aggression is usually a way that animals you know, achieve social status. So it's an indirect link to aggression. Uh, sex drive of course, and libido, motivation, ambition, energy, uh, all those things behaviorally uh, testosterone does. It also helps with insulin sensitivity. So it makes you more insulin sensitive, uh, meaning that you have a better ability to process carbs and not store them as fat. It all, uh, you know, prevents type 2 diabetes in that regard. Also, uh, it helps increase focus and working memory and also helps to reduce anxiety and depression. I'm thinking <laughs> so pretty the important, and also, pretty important uh, stuff. Yeah, and calcium regulation, so it also indirectly helps with uh, reducing risk of cardiovascular disease. And honestly, endogenous testosterone levels, so higher natural testosterone, steroids not included in this, high end endogenous testosterone levels, meaning natural testosterone levels with no steroids or supplementation or anything like that, is actually associated with lower risk of cardiovascular disease and overall mortality in men. Hmm. Meaning higher testosterone means you're more likely to both live longer and less likely to get cardiovascular disease or heart disease. So those are super, super important. All of that stuff is basically, it just means life to me when you're saying all of those things. Yeah. It's fundamental for male health, both physically and mentally. What about females? So it honestly is really important for females as well for overall health, but females have significantly less of it. I think it's an interesting concept to dive into that Estrogen is kind of considered the female hormone and testosterone is known as the male hormone, even though both men and women both have both testosterone and estrogen and women mm -hmm. actually have more testosterone than they do estrogen. Yeah. It's important for women. Yeah. It's also the main libido driving hormone for women as well. So higher testosterone would lead to higher sex drive for women, the same as men. And they oscillate in their monthly cycles. So when they're ovulating, they have higher testosterone levels because they're more likely to seek out sexual partners because it's their time to get pregnant. Right. Which, I think is super Which all single males should know about yeah. the cycles and even yeah. the cycles of the moon because many women are synced to the cycles of the moon. And then you can pretty much do the math on the hormonal likelihood of every single female out there based on that. Yep, for sure. So what are the problems or issues if somebody has low testosterone? So first of all, is there a problem with low testosterone? Many of you know that I own gyms for about a decade. And so I've worked with people on their health and wellness for many years at a time. And by far the biggest impact that I've seen anybody make on their health journeys is from the ULT lifestyle. This program allows your diet to be functional and that it nourishes your cells. It supports the detoxification of the garbage in your body, gets it out. And it also offers the components for your body to rebuild itself. 
I've seen my clients make more change in six to seven months than they did in six to seven years working out in my high intensity gyms. I've got $120 off your first month. Check out the ULT lifestyle in the description of this show after you're done listening. Yeah, absolutely. because I'm seeing everybody talk about it on yeah. social media. There's lots. I mean, for starters, you just don't feel as good when you have low testosterone. A lot of guys, when they get their testosterone up, finally, it's like a night and day difference. They're like, I didn't know how good I didn't feel yet. But we could get into it a little bit more specifically because you could say that with a lot of things as far as health. So right. we can get into more detail. In general, I would say basically the opposite of all of the good things I said it does, it, it doesn't do if you don't have enough of it. So some common symptoms of low testosterone would be low energy, low motivation, no desire to compete or, or not really having any ambition, low sex drive or erectile dysfunction or any kind of like sexual dysfunction, really even like anorgasmia from hyperlactin, which will be due to low testosterone would be like the difficulty orgasming during sex or when you do, it's like dulled, it's not as intense, um, difficulty building muscle mass, um, higher levels of myostatin, which suppress muscle protein synthesis and make it a lot more difficult to put on muscle, insulin resistance. Uh, difficulty focusing, weak memory, anxiety, depression, perhaps cardiovascular disease or high calcium in your in your uh, arteries. How can somebody sort of just like look in the mirror or take a assessment of themselves and determine if they have low or even high testosterone? Like, what are some of the biomarkers or indicators that somebody can know without having to go get their blood tested? For sure. The number one that I usually recommend for everyone to do if they want to test out and gauge their testosterone realistically without having to spend a lot of money on blood work would be to test their grip strength. So you can go on Amazon and get a dynamometer for 25, 30 bucks and squeeze it as hard as you can and test your grip strength. And based on how much uh, weight you can pull with your grip, you can pretty much pinpoint it to where your testosterone levels are. Really? Which I think is super interesting. Yeah. And I mean, honestly though, Grip strength is more of an indicator of overall androgen status, which is realistically more practical and more accurate than actually getting blood work and just getting your testosterone checked. Because when you get blood work done, right, you just get a snapshot in time of what was in your blood at that very time. But mm -hmm. your, you know, like as they took the blood, what was in it. So your levels oscillate daily. You have a daily cycle where if you even just go at different times a day and you got a blood work at 11 versus 10 versus 3 p.m., you're going to have completely different testosterone levels. So I think grip strength is really practical because you can check your grip strength multiple times per day and see the difference in how your grip strength actually goes up and you can determine a range to get an overall estimate of the correlation with your blood work. I would say the best way to do it though is to test your grip strength and get blood work a couple times so then you can really get what's accurate for you based on your size. But you can pinpoint it at least to some degree as a good estimate based on just like overall like references. What's the, the like, like what, how drastic is the difference? Is there a percentage or is it just like, like somebody with low T and that same person with optimal levels? So, I mean, somebody with like optimal levels, like 800 to 1200 total T would be at somewhere like 175 pounds plus of grip strength. And someone with like 300 would be like, you know, below 120, like maybe a hundred, maybe 95 pounds grip strength. So pretty significant. Yeah. You know, what's crazy is I have a dog and there is a time where let's just say I was doing some things regarding diet 
that would lower my testosterone. And I noticed my dog was like starting to disrespect me. And I intuitively calibrated it that he could feel the weakness of my hands when I just like mm. pet him. Like for some reason, like that's what was like, I could see that he was sensing in me was like the weak, my hands were getting weaker and he started disrespecting me. And then, so now that it's not like an issue and I'm eating more in line with higher testosterone, like I always feel that strength going from me to him. But it's crazy that you said that because I've never heard of this grip strength thing. Yeah, there's a pretty decent amount of like data and studies on that to confirm it where it's like I'm comfortable enough to even mention that as an actual way to measure your testosterone. It's pretty pretty cool and practical for most people and low budget. Uh, other ways, I mean, that's obviously not the only way. There's more practical ways. Looking in the mirror, you can tell uh, if you're not growing a lot of body hair, genetics aside. So let's say like, you know, all the men in your family have like decent body hair and you don't. Or if the men in your family have thick beards and you don't, something that can be indicative of low testosterone. Uh, I mean, muscle mass is a great indicator. If you're jacked, you most likely have higher testosterone than somebody who's not. If you get tired after you eat complex carbs, that would be a way to gauge your insulin sensitivity, like a basic, like bro science way to measure it. You know, if you eat bread and you're exhausted after, or you feel like lethargic, mm -hmm. brain fog, tired, you're most likely not super sensitive to insulin. So that's one way to gauge it. Also, I mean, if you eat a normal amount of carbs, like a normal person, and you're putting on body fat more than you think you should be based on your overall calories, then that can also be another indicator. But that, that's also insulin uh, sensitivity. But testosterone is a huge factor for insulin sensitivity. So it's worth considering. So um, you know, easier to have abs when you have higher testosterone as opposed to like, you know, bulking without having the abs. High testosterone mm -hmm. helps you stay lean even if you're putting on weight. Right. I've seen those guys that are a little bit soft, almost like they have, like, it just looks like they're filled with estrogen. Yeah. So I, you brought up something earlier and then you just brought up it again. And this is something that most people don't consider. So it's, it's kind of like a lesser known impact of testosterone. You mentioned competing and adrenaline and norepinephrine, I think that you mentioned as well. And mm -hmm. then you just mentioned uh, the insulin sensitivity, which I know you're able to process more sugar after like a very intense workout, which is simulating some sort of fight for status as well. So like I've seen you talk about this, but could we get into like what you mean about like the mental dynamics of fighting for status, like evolutionarily speaking, and, and how that plays into basically a necessity for men to go through in order to optimize their testosterone? Yeah, that's a great question. So first, as far as status goes, men with higher social status in general, pretty much across the board, no matter what they're doing in their life, tend to have higher free testosterone levels. So free testosterone is the amount of testosterone in your blood that's not bound to proteins. So you have sex hormone binding globulin, SHBG, and albumin that bind to your testosterone. So it prevents it from binding to the receptor. And only a very small percentage of your testosterone is actually free to bind to the androgen receptor. So think of the androgen receptor as the outlet. Think of the testosterone as the plug. And think of like the SHBG or the albumin as like that plastic cover that comes on the plug when you first buy something. 
So most of the yeah. most of the testosterone going around in your blood has the cover on it, and then only a small percentage of it has you know is ready to to plug into the outlet. So men with higher social status, and that could be something like being a manager at your job, being mm-hmm. the captain of your high school hockey team, being the the tallest one in your friend group, like, you know, things like that, yeah. where you just have some sort of dominance of the men around you or some kind of like leadership position, some kind of like elevated social status from anything you tend that's to have higher testosterone levels than those around you. Yeah. So that's one thing. I think there's a decent amount of evolutionary reasons for that, but at the end of the day, it comes back to, um, reproduction and carrying on your genes. So testosterone does increase in survival situations. So let's say your, you know, adrenaline, noradrenaline go up when you have to fight, something like that. It'll go up to equip you, I guess, to survive threats so you can continue to get, you know, carry on your genes. But then also when you win. So let's say you win a competition. Let's say like somebody comes, you, tr- you come up to me and you try to fight me. We fight to the death. I kill you. I win. Right now I get all your stuff back in the day. <laughs> you know, now I have all your stuff, all your resources, all your women, whatever it is that you had, I have all of it now, your food, right. everything. So now my body additionally gives me more testosterone to equip me to protect those resources. So realistically, the men who have the highest free testosterone levels across the board as far as status goes are the men that are constantly defending their status. So let's say like the best athlete in a sport who's constantly every single game he's playing has to defend that status of being that guy and is constantly defending that there's always guys coming to take that spot from him and he continues to maintain his position that is like pretty much the main uh biggest driver but in general any competition where status and resources are on the line will increase testosterone a lot more than competition where there's no status or resources on the line at all so like if nobody's watching if there's no money on the table there's no title to be fought for there's no championship there's no playoffs you know like for example or you know if you're really better than the guy that you're competing against let's say you know you're playing against your little brother who's eight years younger than you in the driveway a game of basketball and you absolutely destroy him you're not going to get much of a testosterone boost because you knew you were going to destroy him because you're older than him and better than him and nobody was watching and nobody cares. So you're not really going to get a big boost from that. You're not, there's nothing really for you to gain from it. Whereas like, let's say your brother who is eight years younger than you beats you. He just overcame a huge challenge in the house. So now like he's the man for a little bit. He's right. walking on air because his testosterone is going up. So that's just an example. That's amazing. In I used to own CrossFit gyms and in the gym, we used to say men will die for points. It's Mm. just like inherently in the DNA to compete. But the way that you put it. That's like the biggest pro science way to put it. If you don't have high testosterone, like we were talking, how can you tell if you have low testosterone? If you have no desire to compete and you don't care about winning, that's like you most likely have low testosterone. Like I would say like 90% chance your T is low. Right. And then the way to, yeah, the way to more is to put yourself in situations where there is stuff on the line and you are competing. Exactly. I consider it a two way street too. So having higher testosterone makes you want to compete for resources and win makes you want to have that ambition to climb the ladder to become that guy. And then also once you have, um, what's it called? Once you actually compete more and you are defending status or you achieve that status, that also makes your testosterone go high. So it works both ways. It's a positive feedback loop. That's crazy. So that's one way. But uh, without giving away all of your secrets, I'm sure you have 
days and days and days that you can talk on this, but just there's somebody listening, what are some practical ways that they could naturally optimize testosterone levels besides what you were just talking about with the competition? Is there anything else naturally? Definitely. Definitely. I'll give you the main ones. Like I guess my overall pillars, each of these things, well, most of these things that I'm about to say, I have individual courses on each one of them. So I'm not like, I can give you guys, I, there's literally 0% <laughs> chance that I can explain all of this in a podcast, but I'll go over the titles, like the main topics for you guys. So the number one, the first one, this is based on the data. It's almost not even debatable. The number mm -hmm. one cause for declining testosterone levels in men today throughout the last few generations is nutrition. So micronutrient deficiencies and inadequate macronutrient splits are the number one cause of low testosterone. So the number one thing you can do to get your testosterone up naturally is to get your nutrition on point and stop listening to nutrition advice from people that are on steroids on the internet because their nutritional needs are different than yours because they're injecting hormones that you're trying to make naturally. So you, your micronutrient status is a lot more important than theirs for testosterone specifically for muscle building and stuff like that. So you want to make sure that you're maxing out your micronutrients and getting your full, like hitting your targets on everything. And there's like 30 plus different micronutrients that you need to focus on. Amazing. Just a hint of a macronutrient. Like what's the macronutrient balance? Is it more of one thing, less of another? So when it comes to everything, as far as nutrition, and honestly, most things in general, when it comes to health, we see this inverted U curve, right? So it's like problems happen on one side, and then there's a small area where it goes to the U and then boom, it's shit again if we have too much. So when it comes to protein, right? We don't want too little protein. We don't want too much protein. We don't want to be too lean, but we don't want to be too fat. We don't want mm. too much carbs. We don't want too little. So it really depends on the person based on your body composition, based on your goals, based on your insulin sensitivity at the time. Usually I recommend somewhere between 20, 20 to 30% of your overall caloric intake to be from protein. And then the remainder being split up between fats and carbs, uh, more fat. I would say like anything more than 25% fat is adequate. I would say 30 is like the sweet spot, at least for me. So mine is if I'm, I hope this adds up to hundred, I think it's 25, 30, 45. So that would be 25% protein, 30% fat, 45% carbs. That's what I aim to make my splits. But somewhere around there in that ballpark is cool. Some guys are on this lower carb wave, which I'm not a huge fan of, which we could talk about. Um, I'm a huge advocate for carbs. So I do more on the carb side, but guys that want to do a lot more fat and less carbs, that's cool too. As long as I would say at least 25% of your total caloric intake is fat. Mm -hmm. So macronutrient and micronutrient. Yep. And then micronutrients, I mean, I could go over some bit, like the main ones, I would say like zinc, magnesium, boron, vitamin A, vitamin D. Well, vitamin D is another hormone, but still you could get it from food. Mm -hmm. um, all the B vitamins, vitamin C, vitamin E, pretty much all the vitamins, vitamin K2. Um, do you find that medium, the iodine, yeah, all of them, thyroid hormone. Do you, do you find that the types of carbohydrate that people are eating, like whether it comes from like rice or fruit, does that make an impact in testosterone? Yes. And honestly, it's a great question. Brings up a very interesting point. I, I, I teach something called, I call it a hunger budget, right? So every day you only have enough appetite to eat x amount of food right so if you're going to eat strictly for macronutrients like something that has pretty much no micronutrient value and you're getting your macros in you're kind of like wasting your hunger 
you know, you're spending, you're spending your hunger on something that's not really giving you a great return. So Mm -hmm. when you are consuming carbs, I definitely recommend things like fruits, like potatoes. So like high micronutrient antioxidant dense carb sources, same with fats and proteins, no matter what you're eating, I definitely recommend high micronutrient profiles foods in overall. There's, there's quite a bit of a war when it comes to vegetables. Where do you stand on, on, on that? Like vegetables being poison for us or not? So I think that's a very, very nuanced topic. I am not an anti-vegetable guy. I also am not a hyper vegetable guy. I'm not a huge fan of lots of different vegetables, but I enjoy onions. I eat lots of potatoes. I, you know, I like my cilantro and parsley and basil and things like that. Um, if you want to consider those vegetables or I guess they're kind of herbs, but you know, in general, I'm not entirely against vegetables, but I think it's important to understand the nuance of specific vegetables and where kind of the defense mechanisms are in the plants. Cause it's not an incorrect argument that a lot of these carnivore anti sugar guys make mm-hmm. against plants. There are defense chemicals in plants, but I think they over dramatize it. And I think a lot of it isn't nearly as bad as they make it out to be. However, I mean, things like peeling your potato can make a difference. If potatoes hurt your stomach, there are some of the defense chemicals in the skin of the potato, even though all the, a lot of the nutrients are in there. Also, a lot of the poisons are in there. So for some people, peeling the potato would be better. I also wouldn't eat a raw potato. I would cook it. And what you cook it in makes a difference. Like I personally prefer tallow or, you know, I have no problem with something like butter or ghee, but I wouldn't be cooking your potatoes in canola oil, for example, or like, you know, sunflower oil something like mm-hmm. that, grapeseed oil. I wouldn't use any of those. I would use animal fats, mostly saturated fat type stuff to cook your potatoes and honestly all your vegetables. Onions, pretty much same deal. I wouldn't eat a red onion. Like, I mean, I guess I would eat a piece of a red onion raw, but I wouldn't like bite into an <laughs> onion. But like, you know what I mean? Like in small amounts. But even then, same cooking it, I would use the, the animal fats to cook the onion. I really don't eat that many vegetables personally, just out of preference and also kind of out of laziness when I cook for myself, I kind of just focus on, you know, the things that are the main like stuff I got to get in me, like the meat or the the potatoes are like, that's pretty much my main meal that I eat pretty much every day is just steak and potatoes, steak and potatoes, or like salmon and potatoes or oysters and potatoes. I eat potatoes with pretty much every meal, uh, <laughs> fried and tallow. <laughs> and this is what you recommend for, for everybody in every age group as well, right? I mean, it depends on the person and preference. You know what I mean? Some people like rice better. Some people like quinoa better. I I think quinoa is great. I do eat it on occasion. Um, I think I just have my routine with the potatoes, but quinoa is a great micronutrient dense food for a carb source. And there's also a little bit of protein in there too. So it's not a bad option. Uh, Yeah, I think really what it comes down to is eat real food. Like if you're going to eat carb sources, eat real food, care about where it comes from, care about the micronutrient profile. You know, I, I do think potatoes are, are the king vegetable, but that's, that's my opinion. Uh, you know, with the potassium content and stuff like that, I also eat a lot of salt these days. So, you know, trying to balance that I out love with potatoes. enough potassium. Yeah. I got nothing They're bad like to say about them. my <laughs> favorite. <laughs> all types. Yep. Sweet potatoes, the purple potatoes, the regular potatoes, all the yeah. above. Yes, please. So, so let's switch gears if... Because we're talking about increasing testosterone. I know that some people get into either testosterone supplementation from exogenous sources where they're injecting it and even using 
certain herbs where they're just kind of like going overboard on just trying to get the tea up. Are there any risks or side effects from having even just natural testosterone, but, but what are the side effects of testosterone supplementation? So, okay, this is a decently nuanced question as well. So I'll cover supplements first. So like the herbal supplements or the like over-the-counter kind of marketed supplements that aren't like actual testosterone. So my, th- my opinion on these is not that they're necessarily bad, but that they're snooze buttons, right? So your low testosterone is the alarm. The herb Tonkara leaf, Fidogia agrestis, is a snooze button. So basically, they either you know directly signal for lower SHBG for Tonkara Lee or signal for higher LH with Fidogia agrestis. But your brain is very smart and your body is very intelligent. It has certain levels of certain hormones for a reason. So if you have lower LH, you have lower testosterone, it's for a reason. Your body, it's expensive to have high testosterone energetically for your body, right? Muscle mass is expensive. When you have higher mm-hmm. muscle mass, you have to eat more calories every day just to continue to exist and sustain your body composition. So your body doesn't really want you to get big. This is why myostatin exists. There's literally a mechanism designed to stop you from getting too big because it's energetically expensive to get big. So what happens with these kind of snooze button supplements is they lower your testosterone. Or I mean, they increase your testosterone, but they don't fix the problem that's causing your low testosterone. So let's say, for example, you have a serious magnesium deficiency, which is why you have low LH or low testosterone, right? And then you take Tonkata Lee and Fidogia Agrestis, and they basically signal for your pituitary to release more LH or for your boss to, to you know, start producing more testosterone or for SHBG to go down. So now you experience an alleviation of the symptoms, but the cause is not actually there. And then that magnesium deficiency might also lead to vitamin D deficiency, might also lead to, you know, magnesium does hundreds of things in your body. So it could be different downstream effects of that cause that does something else. So if it's fixing the testosterone problem, it's not fixing the cause of the testosterone problem, which can cause other problems down the line, which could be long-term or short-term, depends. So that's my main philosophy on why I don't recommend these things. And then at the same time, I would call these the icing on the cake, right? Or the sprinkles on the icing on the cake, right? The cake is your lifestyle foundation. You got to bake the cake before you ice it and put sprinkles on top. Realistically, the the cake is the, I call it the core four. So these are the main important pillars, nutrition, sleep, sunlight exposure, training. Those are the core four. And then everything else on top of that, avoiding endocrine disruptors, sex, competition. These are like the icing on the cake. And then the herbs and supplements are basically like the sprinkles on top of the icing on the cake. So it's like not really that important and not really that great of a way to increase your testosterone. And again, it it doesn't really solve the root cause. And there can be lots of different root causes. That was very simply put, easy to understand. So that was for herbs. Yeah. So now we can get into, uh, and over-the-counter ones like tea booster supplements, right, that aren't herbs specifically, most of them are just supplements for nutrients that most people have deficiencies in that are required for testosterone. So you'll see most of them have zinc, magnesium, boron, 
they're all kind of the same ingredients in different concoctions and recipes, but it's pretty much all the same shit. And you could just eat a steak and eat some eggs and a potato and like call it a day and not have to spend a hundred million dollars on testosterone boosting supplements over the years. And a lot of them also have like other fillers and other things. Like I'm not a huge fan of supplements in general because you have to do a lot of due diligence to check out the companies and make sure that they're being honest and a lot of misinterpreted data out there. There's so many different uh, examples of like companies that are misrepresenting the information on their labels, things like that. So you really got to do the due diligence. I mean, that's one thing I do like about Perium. Oh yeah. (laughs) Hey, so is there any, so you just mentioned all of that. It's kind of put into an umbrella. You explained it amazing is there anything in that that is worth taking like is is it worth it even just like having a sprinkle every once in a while from your perspective it could be i would just say to max out your lifestyle first and then those things will be the icing on the cake but then realistically once you get your lifestyle on point and you get your testosterone up into the optimal range you're not even going to be thinking about these things anyway right so it's like you don't really need it once you get once you get that foundation. But even then, like let's say you were, I don't know, training for a fight or something and you're trying to keep it natty and not do like any kind of uh, you know, illegal stuff or any kind of like peptides or shit like that, this could be an option. You know, you could temporarily get a little bit higher levels for a period of time to be like a little mm-hmm. extra beast mode. I'm not like totally against that. I think that's cool. But again, it's only like the icing on the cake or the sprinkles on top. The after everything else is on point to maybe give yourself that little extra edge. But either way, I wouldn't recommend taking these for long periods of time. And if you do, you'd have to do like alternating. So like for Fedoja, it would be like once every other day or like a couple weeks on, a couple weeks off, something like that. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. What about for the uh, the chemical testosterone? Yeah, so this one I, I have a little more beef with. <laughs> so <laughs> in general... Um, I like, uh, Dr. Jack Cruz's quote that he said on the podcast with Andrew Huberman recently. He said, if you make it, you're not designed to take it. So I'm not entirely against supplements for micronutrients like minerals, like for example, like magnesium. I'm not totally mm-hmm. against like vitamin C, uh, creatine monohydrate, things like that. There's certain supplements that I'm cool with, uh, recommending to people. However, I never ever recommend hormones to people. So even like vitamin D, that's a hormone. I don't recommend supplementing it under any circumstances. If anything, do like cod liver oil or something from a natural source where it comes from like a food, but I never recommend supplementing uh, synthetic vitamin D. And so testosterone goes into that same category, right? Whenever you have hormones that are deficient, there's a mechanism involved. There's a, a balance in your body that's disrupted to some degree, and you have to fix the whole system to fix all of it. Now, If you are injecting testosterone because you're a professional bodybuilder or a professional athlete and you're looking to, you know, make an informed decision, knowing what the consequences are in order to excel your career to where it needs to be. You know, if you're a professional bodybuilder, you really can't like win the Olympia without doing steroids. It's just like, it is what it is. You you need it. So if that's an informed decision you're going to make, that's really the only time I don't have beef with it. Either that, or if you have like a testicle injury or a brain injury or something that makes you legitimately a hypogonadal or like not releasing the, the proper precursor hormones, something like that, where it's like a clinical issue that's preventing you, like you'll never be able to produce testosterone optimally, then maybe like something like TRT would make sense. But otherwise, I'm, I'm not a huge fan at all because of the negative feedback loop. So this is, you're going to find this really interesting. So remember how I went over the production pathway in the beginning? the hypothalamus, GNRH uh, with the estrogen receptors, and then that going everything downstream to testosterone. Right. Falls. 
right? So what happens when you inject testosterone is you disrupt this loop and you mm -hmm. create a negative feedback loop with the feedback loop. So what happens is when you inject testosterone, right? You have higher testosterone. So now you also will have higher estrogen because no matter what aromatase is converting a percentage of your testosterone into estrogen. So you'll have higher estrogen because you have higher testosterone. Your hypothalamus will register the higher levels of estrogen and then we'll shut down GnRH production or lower GnRH production to some degree at, at the very least, depending on the dosage and how long you've been taking it. So then what happens is it reads that less GnRH means less LH and FSH, right? But the LH doesn't really matter because you're injecting testosterone. So who really cares, right? You don't really need the LH because it doesn't need to signal testosterone because you're just injecting testosterone. So you don't really need it. However, that lower GnRH also doesn't signal for FSH. So follicle stimulating hormone isn't telling your balls to make sperm. So this is the mechanism by which exogenous mm -hmm. testosterone can cause infertility and right. testicle atrophy. So if you're on and it for long enough, your testicles will shrivel up and it'll, the brain to balls connection is totally broken. Right. And that's why the longer you're on testosterone, like TRT can be super dangerous as far as fertility goes, because if you're on it for, let's say like six months to a year or two years or three years, you are that, that connection, that, that communication has been destroyed for a very long time and it's very difficult to get it back. So there are things that guys can do. You can take like HCG or like, you know, estrogen receptor blockers. So the hypothalamus doesn't detect the higher levels of estrogen. So your GnRH production stays normal. That's one way that you can get on, that you can, you know, mitigate the risk, but this can get expensive. And then, you know, if you really want to do it and not have the major side effects. I mean, there's, there's lots of different drugs that you can take and peptides and different things to make sure that you're optimal without the risk. But personally, I would rather just focus on the foods that I'm eating and the sunlight exposure I'm getting and the sleep that I'm getting instead of like how many needles I got to put in my ass today. Many of you know that I used to own gyms in downtown LA for about 10 years. So I've seen people on their health and wellness journeys for many years at a time. And by far the biggest impact that I've seen any of them make has been on the ULT lifestyle. This program allows one's bodies to be functional in that it nourishes the cells, it helps facilitate the detoxification of the garbage that gets built up, and it also has the components for your body to rebuild itself. I've seen my clients make more change in six to seven months than they did in six to seven years, working out in my high intensity functional fitness gyms. Check out the description of this show for $120 off your first month. That's just my preference. Right. And that's, you know, <laughs> I, me and you, I guess we can both agree that I think the natural route is the best route. And if we're going to go on what is the most optimal way for humans to thrive, it would be being closer to nature in as many aspects as we possibly can. So yeah, and nobody likes chemical castration. The uh, you mentioned Dr. Cruz and Huberman, and you're also mentioning light. But before we get into light, uh, which is my favorite topic, mine too. Did you did you get through the whole interview of them? And would you recommend that people check that out? Yeah, I watched both parts. It's like, I think six hours total. <laughs> I, I listened to the whole entire thing. I think Jack Cruz is one of the most interesting dudes on earth. I want him on my podcast so bad if he's listening to this. Jack Cruz. He actually, he actually does seem like he has high levels of testosterone too, the way that he speaks and talks. And it sounds like he's competing with the world. The confidence is definitely... Yeah. Definitely indicative that you would have pretty <laughs> decent testosterone or at the very least some pretty sensitive receptors. Right. Right. So you mentioned light a few times, light on the balls. What are we talking about with, with sunlight? 
Okay, so when it comes to testosterone, there actually isn't really much data on getting sun on your balls and testosterone. So I, I'm in the process of having my clients log all their sun exposure and then nice. compare their blood work and put, put together some data on that and kind of turn like my programs into like a little case study type deal. But we're a little early in that for me to really draw any conclusions because I'm waiting for a lot more guys to come through. Like I'm waiting until there's like 1,000, 2,000 dudes that have gone through the program so we can see the data. But there is one study from the 30s, uh, 1939. <laughs> there's one study where they had a group of guys sun their chest and then another group sunned their balls and then another group didn't get sun at all, I believe. And the – I'm going to butcher these numbers probably because it's been a while since I looked at this. But the guys who sunned their chest – and got their chest exposed. And this is like, they sunned this area of the body until they were basically like almost burnt, like a d decent amount of sunlight. So it's not like 15 minutes in the sun. It's like they got, they roasted on purpose. So, and I'm assuming based on what I saw with the numbers that these guys were already pretty sunlight deprived in the beginning of the study. So mm -hmm. that's, that was my conclusion that I drew. So the guys that got their chest in the sun experienced, I think it was like 125% increase in their testosterone. And the guys that sun their balls, I think it was like a 200% increase. So it was a little bigger from, from their balls in the sun. There's a couple things to consider though. One, this is just one study with one group, but I do think that it's interesting. There's no data to show that testosterone isn't increased by sunning your balls. So uh, that's, that's cool True. for me. And then additionally, um, heat is a factor as well. So you don't want to overheat your testicles. That's right. a huge thing, especially with fertility as well. You want to keep your balls as cool as possible. Some guys are huge advocates for icing your balls or keeping them cool. Uh, I'm just an advocate for avoiding heat on your balls or cooling them down after you heat them up. So if you're going to go in the sauna and stay in the sauna pretty long, you want to maybe ice your balls or cool them down after you get in the sauna or you get out of the sauna rather. Uh, when, you, when you're in the car, avoid heated seats. Don't stay in the hot tub for too long. Avoid tight underwear, especially like polyester, like unnatural material tight underwear, things like that for testicle temperature. So if you're going to sun your balls, like maybe not, don't do it for like an hour in a row. Don't, don't burn your dick. Don't like get sunburn on your balls. It's, you know, normal stuff that you would expect to recommend for naked sunning. Um, I actually remember years ago watching a video of you and Troy Casey and you were discussing the, the science behind butthole sunning and the melanin in your anus and how it's basically like connected to the bottom of your spine and, you know, basically feeds your, your nervous system and neuromelanin with the sunlight. I thought that was super fascinating. You are actually the person who was responsible for me getting into butthole sunning and naked sunning in general, um, years ago. So thank you for that, my guy. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, I was, I was naked suntanning for at least five years before I made that, that video that went viral. For me, it's more about just getting all of your skin cells into the sun because melanin, from my perspective, is grabbing sunlight and transferring it into the body. And there's pubes down there for a reason that's filled with melanin. There's hair on your perineum, there's hair around your butt. That all needs and requires sunlight. And then it's feeding your body in in ways that we won't get into on this on this show. Yeah, we'll stay so, with testosterone, I guess. Yeah, we could talk it, about this for hours. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it was one of my secrets on we how talk I did about that when you come on my podcast. We'll okay. talk about <laughs> <laughs> when it was one of my secrets of like how and I figured it out accidentally, but then when I did figure out the power of light, it became a chore 
for me. Like I go outside even today to this day, I go outside. Like I do eat, like it's, it's something that I just consume. So you mentioned sex. I know that's a hot topic as well on the internet right now for people that coach males, because there's this whole question of ejaculate, not ejaculate. Do we cultivate sexual energy? Do like, do we leak out of the bottom of ourselves? Do we, do we bring it up? You mentioned sex a couple of times as a way to increase testosterone. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that? Yes. So to be very clear, to start off, I am not an advocate for semen retention. And that is as someone who practiced semen retention for a very long time, probably around five years, I was practicing semen, semen retention. I did, my longest streak was about eight months, but on and off for years in my practice. And it was one of the last things I actually stopped doing uh, in order to get my testosterone up. I was eating, uh, you know, sleeping right, training, doing a lot of the things, the sunlight, pretty much all of the foundational things. And I was still retaining. I was, you know, at that like eight month mark where I was like, all right, like this has been a really long time. And actually it was really a year, but I busted one nut by accident at the eight month <laughs> mark. So then it was like after the eight month streak, then it was like, I was approaching like the year and I got my blood work tested at the end of the year to be like, all right, one year semen retention, like what happened to my testosterone? And my total T was like 300, 328, something like that. And I was like, damn, okay. So semen retention isn't really helping. And looking at the data, uh, it does increase it to some degree, but not in the long term. So I think for the guys who are trying to utilize semen retention for like maximum benefit, you should go for like a week. I would say like a week is pretty much like the threshold in one of the only studies. And it's actually, it was retracted, but they saw a 45% increase after one week and it stayed there for about two days and then went back to baseline and then never went back up. And actually there were two groups in that study. One group got to bust a nut when it was peaking and the other group didn't. And you know, they busted a nut at the peak and then they went through the, uh, went right back to retaining for the next week. And that group actually got another spike the next week. Whereas the group that kept retaining didn't get another spike. So, and I, I realistically, I think that is the body kind of saying, okay, it's been a week without sex. We kind of want to get laid. Here's some extra testosterone to like, give you some confidence, get you, you know, get you out in the game so you can get laid. And then if you don't, it's like, all right, we tried, but you're not doing it. So we're not going to get it up. And then if you do it, then it's kind of like, okay, this worked last week. So let's try it again and get you laid again. Yeah. Is, is being successful in dating from your opinion, similar to being successful in a hunt or a fight or a competition? Yeah, definitely. It's you're earning the sex to some degree. You have to, as a guy, you have to be the guy worthy of getting the sex from the girl. You know, girls are pretty much the gatekeepers to sex. So in order for that, you know, she has to like let you. And in order for that to happen, most girls are attracted to things that require a lot of hard work for men, whether that's your physique, whether that's your finances or whatever it is like the, you have to win competitions to, to win sex girls. They say girls wait at the finish line. So, you know, so they I've want, actually never heard that, but I've experienced it in real, in real life. Yeah. So that's pretty much the way it is. So yeah, I do think that sex is kind of like an end product of winning competitions, but it itself is also winning competition because you're competing with every other man on earth for that girl. Right. Yeah. You, know, you so, literally are. Yeah. So, you know, it, that's, that's the way it is. I think it definitely is winning a competition. I want to dive into this a little bit deeper as well when it comes to the seam retention and the testosterone specifically. Please. So if you are regularly having sex and ejaculating, your testosterone does go up over time. However, in the short term, after you ejaculate, it actually goes down. 
So, and that's, this is for a reason. So I'm going to, I'm going to get into this. This is, I think really fascinating. So after you ejaculate, or let's say, let's start from the beginning. You start talking to a girl, you see a hot girl, right? Immediately testosterone going up. You're already excited. Dope means up, testosterone's up. You're already kind of motivated to go talk to her, to do whatever. Even if like you're nervous, whatever it is like that, there's hormones that are giving you a little extra boost to go do it. And then let's say you actually do succeed. You're having sex with the girl. Your testosterone continues to go up and go up and go up and go up. Same with your dopamine. Then what happens is you bust a nut and both testosterone and dopamine go to the shitter. They go all the way down real low below baseline and your prolactin goes super high. Prolactin is honestly kind of demonized for some reason. Not like too bad, but kind of in a sense of like, oh, prolactin's bad. It's the hormone that's known for new mothers producing breast milk. Mm -hmm. And it commonly goes higher in like men that are around children. So it, it tends to suppress testosterone and dopamine. There's a, there's an inverse correlation between prolactin and testosterone. So baseline higher prolactin levels are almost a great like inverse indicator of low testosterone. Like if you get your blood work done and just test your prolactin, you can kind of gauge based on how high it is what your testosterone looks like. It's like that much of a negative correlation between the two. So what's interesting about this is it's a very temporary thing. It's not a, it's not baseline test, uh, prolactin increasing. It's just temporary prolactin increase. And this also happens when we experience a lot of pleasurable things, right? If you eat a steak and potatoes and you thoroughly enjoy it and it's delicious, at the end of your meal, prolactin will spike the same way to tell you that you're full, right? Prolactin will spike to reduce testosterone and dopamine, which are motivating chemicals, right? To say, okay, we don't need to be motivated to keep doing this thing. We did enough of the good thing. We're satisfied now. Mm. That's what prolactin is for in that regard. So that prolactin spike from ejaculation is actually a good thing. It allows you to be satisfied with sex. And one of the biggest things I noticed in my mm. experience with long-term semen retention is everything was fine. Everything was still working good, everything, whatever, but it wasn't satisfying over time. It was like all effort, no pleasure, like all effort, no reward, <laughs> right? And there's a delicate balance between effort and pleasure that our hormone systems are designed to thrive in, right? If we are having too much pleasure without effort, things like porn or just like cheap, cheap forms of pleasure, right? Mm -hmm. We kind of disrupt our dopamine balance, if you will, or our dopamine fluctuations. Our baseline dopamine goes lower because we didn't put in enough effort to earn that dopamine spike and the body knows that we're cheating. So it can't afford to keep doing that. So baseline dopamine goes lower. It also works the inverse way. So if you're doing lots of effort and you're constantly working hard, working hard, working hard, working hard, and you never get any type of pleasure, right? You're not reaching small goals or you're not like busting a nut here and there. You're not like experiencing any kind of reward for the effort that you're putting in. You know, these senior retention guys want to last super long, like me included back in the day, you know, like you're clapping cheeks for like two hours and you're like, yeah, I'm the man, but you don't get the pleasure of the ejaculation at the end. So you don't actually get the satisfaction and you're always kind of still craving for more to some degree, or you, you get completely disinterested in sex and you're like, you know, this isn't worthwhile. I'm just going to continue to put in effort and not get a reward. It's almost not worth it for me. And this is subconscious. It's not like you think these things like verbally to yourself. It's more of like a subconscious thing. It's kind of like, you know, you play a sport and you guys lose every single game. Everyone shows a practice, not giving a fuck. Right. But if you work hard right. and you win and now you got a shot at the playoffs, everybody's showing up and everybody's excited yeah. and ready to work hard. So there needs to be an optimal balance between the effort and pleasure, which is honestly the biggest reason why I'm not an advocate for porn. And also because that prolactin spike from porn is four times lower than the prolactin spike from real sex. So porn is also and masturbating in general is also significantly less satisfying for that reason than real sex with a woman. Wait, it's four times lower with porn or without porn? With porn. So if you're if you're masturbating 
compared to sex, masturbating will give you a four times lower prolactin spike than real sex will. Okay, so prolactin goes up. So is there a mechanism that that actually feeds the new cycle of testosterone to come through? I'm not sure if it's prolactin regulated, but okay. from what I've seen, it's that overall, like the next day after you, you know, you ejaculate, you go to sleep and then you wake up the next day and your testosterone is slightly higher. And if you okay. do that consistently, it's like slight differences over time. I wouldn't consider it a huge fundamental pillar. Like I said, it's, it's the icing on the cake. It's not part of the core four nutrition, mm-hmm. sleep, sunlight, exposure, training. It's after those, but right. it, it can help. And I would say in general, just an overall decently healthy sex life is what's important. You know, n- nothing extreme, no extreme restriction. You don't need to be busting 10 knots a day. You know, like you don't need to like jerk off five times a day just because you want to ejaculate so you can get your tea up. It's not going to work. Uh, <laughs> same, same thing with like, you don't have to be avoiding sex and not busting a nut and like religiously retaining for months on end to get your tea up because that's not going to work either. It's just a healthy balance. Have enough sex, talk to girls, engage with females and be social and compete with other dudes for girls and, you know, be a guy that's worthwhile of female attraction and have a normal amount of sex, like a normal person and everything's all good. It's not, you know, it doesn't really have to be rocket science, but it can be if we want to dive into the details and even the deeper you dive into it, the more it just says, just be normal. So now I get what you were saying. It's less prolactin, which means you get less of a feeling of satisfaction Exactly. With masturbation. Exactly. And that's why sometimes guys that masturbate will go like three, four, five rounds in a row and just continue to do it because they're still not satisfied. They still want more. And uh-huh. the, the prolactin spike is to make you disinterested in sex. So after you had sex, you did the thing. Like, you know, ideally in nature, like your semen is in her already. The mm-hmm. impregnation is already either going to happen or not. So it's like there's no more interest in sex. It's you're disinterested. You're satisfied. That's what it's for. So – when you masturbate, it's kind of like your body knows you didn't do it. You didn't do the thing. So it can, you know, it knows. What's also interesting is if you have different women, your hormones will shift differently as well. So like if you're having sex with the same woman, like over and over again for a long time, that refractory period is a lot more significant. Whereas like, let's say you have sex with one girl and then another girl wants to have sex with you 10 minutes later, the, the, like, the hormones will just go back to normal. And it's like, all right, testosterone don't mean it's going back up. It's like, we could do this again because your body wants to, ke- wants to pass on the genes. It doesn't right. mean that that's necessarily a good thing, but in the moment, it will happen. Well, I'm thoroughly satisfied with this discussion. But before <laughs> we wrap up, do you have anything else that you feel is pertinent to add to what we're, what we're talking about? Yeah, I guess to wrap up, I want to just summarize like a list of things. I, I kind of went into like detail on nutrition and then we went into like a couple things like one by one by one. But I want to just go. Can you address like, the the, the animal products versus not animal products in terms of testosterone? Now that you mentioned nutrition, like vegan versus carnivore type well, thing, or like is eating so does eating meat increase testosterone? Because there's this you know that documentary bigger no it was uh the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it where they basically say yeah, that if clips. you don't if you're a vegetarian that you're you're your penis gets harder and stronger and all that, all that stuff. Oh, it was the game changers. It was the game changers. I I seen it. What I thought was really interesting and misleading about that is they, it was like a cheap burrito that they were eating. It wasn't like they didn't do like steak and potatoes or like a plate of oysters and Mm -hmm. salmon and mussels. It was like a cheap like burrito that they had. And then they just measured the, the, I guess the strength of their boners. 
Um, <laughs> I, I feel like that's it's not a very useful experiment based on what they ate. It was literally just having the burrito with and without the meat in it. And who knows what the meat was cooked with or what oils right. were in it or whatever. I think it's not a very practical study that's applicable to people who are actually health conscious on nutrition. But that being said, I think both plants and animal foods are necessary for optimal testosterone. For example, you're not really going to get the optimal zinc to copper ratio from only eating plants. You're not realistically not even going to get enough zinc. Um, also things like vitamin A, retinol, you have to eat 15 times the amount of beta carotene to get the same amount of retinol that you would get from eating retinol in animal products. Uh, vitamin D isn't really available. Uh, B12, there's just other things that are just difficult to get, or you'd have to supplement as a vegan, like if you're not eating them. And then as a carnivore, I mean, I don't know where, where carnivores are getting their boron from how that works, because it's pretty much only in fruits and plants. Um, and it's deficient a lot in soils. I actually do recommend a lot of people to supplement uh, boron for testosterone specifically because it's one that most people are deficient in and don't even really know about. But um, yeah, I think they're both important. But I would say if I had to pick one, I would say that the animal products are, are more solid as far as micronutrients go. Mm-hmm. It's And honestly, protein bioavailability, I would say animal products are a little better. Uh, it's like, you know, it, There's pretty much no food out there that's better than oysters. I would say, I would say steak and oysters are like real close as far as like, if I had to live off one food for the rest of my life, it would be between steak, oysters and milk. A2 milk. Yeah. That raw good shit. <laughs> yeah. The, the store by me sells A2 yogurt. It's amazing. Hmm. Yeah. A2 yogurt is fire. I wanted to just summarize like the main things that people can do to optimize their testosterone just from like a basic to have like a starting point because we went into one topic deep and then Amazing. another topic deep. So just to yeah. like list them. So I would Sweet. say the most important would be nutrition. Number one is nutrition. Number two is sleep. Number three is sunlight exposure. Number four is training. So whether that is like heavy lifting, uh, there has to be a focus on legs, but also uh, some kind of like challenging your body and mind, learning new um skills, physical skills, something like that, pushing your body's limits to some degree, um, competition, uh, body composition. So you don't want to be too lean, but you don't want to be too fat somewhere between 10 and 15% body fat is optimal for testosterone. However, like 15 to 20% is acceptable. If you're over 20%, get below 20%. If you're at 20%, get to 15. Uh, if you're under 10%, you might benefit from getting up to 10. I personally was at like six and a half, seven when I was really skinny percent body fat and getting up to 10 absolutely changed my life. So you don't want to be too lean either. And also being too lean or too fat also raises prolactin levels, uh, baseline prolactin levels. So you get all of the negative effects of having high prolactin, which are very different than the satisfaction that we discussed from the, the acute spike of prolactin. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have stress. Stress is another one with the in, inverted U curve. A lot of people demonize stress, but actually if you have too little stress, that's not good either. You'll have higher prolactin, lower testosterone if you don't have enough stress. So you need stress, but avoid unnecessary stress, avoid, avoid metabolic stress and like energetic stress and pursue more stresses that are like workouts or more demanding things or challenges, things like that in life as opposed to unnecessary stress or worrying or anxiety type stress. So stress isn't just stress, but we want, you know, the inverted U curve. We want that that money spot of amount of stress and only you can really determine what that is for you, like what feels normal and healthy as, a, as an amount of stress. But if you have zero stress, I would say you're not trying hard enough in life. Uh, next, I would say avoiding endocrine disruptors. So those are things like EMFs, plastics, uh, certain clothing materials. This is this 
I mean, there's an entire course I have on this, but there's a million <laughs> different things that I can talk about as far as avoiding uh -huh. endocrine disruptors. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, right. And then we, we discussed already have enough sex. And then last but not least, uh, temp te testicle temperature. So you want to make sure that your testicles are not being overheated. And again, they, like, they don't want to be too cold either. Inverted U-curve. Money spot. <laughs> um, but So wearing like briefs, like whitey tighty type underwear is going to prevent the body from regulating the temperature of the testicles. Yeah, this is because the testicles will hang lower or come up closer to regulate temperature. So... You know, if you're cold, your balls shrivel up. It's like, God, you joke about it when you're young. You're like, oh, my fucking balls are all tight. Like mm -hmm. it's, you know, when you're cold and when you're hot, it's the opposite. So your balls will hang a lot lower and the scrotum will get like a lot looser in order to separate the testicles from the body so that they can cool down a little bit. And tight underwear like boxer briefs, tidy whities prevent that from happening and keep them close even though they're trying to sag. So the heat is still there and your body continues to heat them up so they don't actually cool down like they need to. So I would say loose cotton boxers, if anything, but honestly, like I'm a big free ball and advocate just yeah. go commando where like, I just wear those cot just cotton shorts or cotton sweatpants, yeah. something like that. I love doing that except for when I go in public and then my mushroom head is just popping out for everybody to see and the shaft <laughs> and everything. So I, I do like to have an extra layer in there. I feel you. I feel you. I like, I really like soul bras brand, the soul apparel. Cause those cotton okay. shorts are pretty thick. So they're like, it's, it's pretty decent. It's, it's not as bad. I get what you're right. saying though. Some of the thinner, like if you're going to do like linen or something, yeah. you, you definitely see it right through. Public, <laughs> it's probably, probably not good advice. Good point. <laughs> cool. So we got top T Nick on Instagram. What, what's your website? Uh, the website is top dash T dash academy.com. So it's top T Academy with dashes in the middle. All right. Anywhere else where people can find you? Yeah, you can find me on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash at top T Nick and then top T Nick on Twitter and top T Nick on TikTok, but I don't really use TikTok. I don't like it that much. It's weird. <laughs> I can't figure it out. Yeah. Instagram <laughs> is my main platform. I'm trying to focus on a somewhat of a shift to YouTube because I, I do like longer format videos. I just started my own podcast. So I would say YouTube and Instagram are the two main places you want to find me. If you're interested in the Top T Academy, then the website is probably the place to go. Either that or my Instagram. And what's the name of your podcast? The Top T Podcast. There we go. All right. I like to well, keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> Super knowledgeable. I like the quickness of your speech. And yeah, thank you for explaining that all super simply for all of us. For sure. Thank all right. On. It's been a yes, pleasure. Yes, yes. Good to finally Take care. Well, bro. Oh yeah, of course. Thanks everybody for joining us with Nick Caputo today. I hope you felt his energy and heard his words. Next week, we are hearing from Jay Campbell and Jay's got some different perspectives than Nick. So I'm excited for us all to learn from his viewpoint. Subscribe to the show. And if you really want to contribute to somebody else's awareness of self through hearing from all these different experts, Leave a review. Let the world know how you're feeling right now in this moment. Until next time, I invite you to integrate something that you learned today and enjoy your time and space, everybody.